Good evening. You're listening to the Parliament of Rooks podcast, episode 18, in which we do the mash. We do the monster mash. I love to take my baby to a movie show So I can try to smooch her while the lights are low But you and Curdle do a story of romance There's only one way I've got a chance It takes the Batman, Wolfman, Frankenstein or Dracula To put her in the mood for love It takes the cat girl, dog boy, creature from the Black Lagoon To make her feel like making love It takes a monster from outer space to make my baby want my embrace. And when I hold her, she's like a dream. If only she can hear somebody scream. So welcome back, everyone, to the Parliament of Rooks podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Lanise. And this is his wife and daughter, Melanie Lanise. (laughs) (laughs) Melanie's making reference to the fact that uh, I I mentioned a couple episodes ago the... uh, uh, Lords of Order podcast, the Dr. Fate podcast that I was uh, listening to. Um, the host of that show, uh, Ed Moore, um, <laughs> yeah, I guess listened to our show or whatever and, and you know gave us a little plug or whatever. But he referred to Melanie as my daughter. I think he might have missed the intro or whatever, but no problems. You know, uh, I have a high-pitched voice. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Ed. We are, we are listening and you know thanks for that shout out. Um, so, uh, so when I say welcome back, though, it's also a welcome back for you. Yeah. Um, I had an awesome, awesome trip, but I am super excited to be back here because I wanted to get back to recording. I know. Yeah. It's been like, what, like two weeks already. Yeah. <laughs> we did the, those two like back to back or whatever. So, you know, we might be a little bit out of practice, but, uh, <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. But I think the, the topic though is going to be a, a nice way to jump back in because I know it's one that, uh, that you in particular have a, a very keen interest in. We had mentioned on the, the last few episodes, you know, that, um, uh, the cultural phenomena of, of Batmania, you know, it basically swept the country and was, you know, in turn mm-hmm. influencing the comics. Um, one of the things that, you know, we left out when, when saying that is, you know, the sort of trend that Batmania itself was uh, supplanting. You know, what ha- what had come prior to that in terms of, like, you know, American cultural, uh, you know, fascination. Well, from what I know about the episode, I would say we're going to be doing monsters. <laughs> right, exactly. As you're taking a look at my notes, yes, indeed. Uh, <laughs> monster mania was the, the thing that it sort of, you know, in America at least, you know, preceded uh, the whole cultural concept of, of Batmania. Um, for whatever reason, you know, in the uh, late 50s and early 60s, you know, um, there was a sort of retro vibe for a lot of those earlier, like, universal monsters from, like, the, uh, you know, the 30s and 40s or whatever. You know, your your traditional Frankenstein and Dracula, right. you know, so on and so forth. Yeah, so, I mean, I say for whatever reason, but for a very good reason, all of a sudden there was a huge resurgence of American interest in that. Hmm. You know, it's it's kind of weird to think about there being a retro anything in the 50s or 60s, because <laughs> when we go retro, that's where we go. Exactly, right. Yeah, I mean, you always sort of say that culturally there's at least, you know, like a sort of 20 to 30 year cycle about, you know, yeah. what you look back on and have fondness for. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, whereas we in the 90s were dressing in tie-dyes, you know, from the 60s, they were looking back to the 30s and 40s and saying, hey, monsters are cool. Mm. So, um with that in mind, uh, before we get into, you know, the, the sort of retro examination, you know, of these monsters, you know, we should probably take a look backward and take a look, you know, at the material that was being revived. Okay. Okay. So the universal monsters, you know, that we think of traditionally are generally, you know, the, the sort of big three, you know, uh, Frankenstein, you know, Dracula and, and the Wolfman, you know, basically your mm-hmm. your monster cereals, <laughs> your, your Count right, Chocula yeah. <laughs> and Frankenberry, that type thing. Um, but, you know, but the tradition as far as, you know, Universal Studios actually goes back, you know, at least a decade prior to that. Um, their first sort of foray into, you know, horror cinema 
um, was actually in 1923. Um, started, you know, with a, a sort of literary adaptation. And you know, technically, you could say that this wasn't tr a traditional uh, horror movie. But uh, in 1923, Universal released uh, *Hunchback of Notre Dame*, mm -hmm, you know, yeah. Quasimodo type thing, mm -hmm. which um, from that point onward, you know, has sort of been lumped in as you know, sort of movie monster. Mm. Um, you know, they followed that up in 1925 with an adaptation of uh, *Phantom of the Opera*. And uh, and both of those two movies I mentioned, *Phantom of the Opera* and *Hunchback of, of Notre Dame*. Uh, starred an actor who was one of Universal's, you know, huge polls at the time, uh, Lon Chaney. I'm not that familiar with his work. I know he was, um, he was in silent movies, but there's only a few of those that I liked. Which ones? Um, Metropolis. Uh, something with uh, Dr. Caligari. The Captain of Dr. Caligari. Yeah, yeah, I think those are both. Uh, those two actually are both uh, like German expressionist films. I, I know Metropolis is uh, Fritz Lang. And I want to say Canada Dr. Caligari is lying as well. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure, but uh, we got to get you turned on to some more silent movies. <laughs> I mean, definitely if you like horror or whatever, you know, you you know, the fact that you haven't seen *Fan of the Opera* is a uh, is a huge gap in your education. I know. What we're, <laughs> I know what we're doing after we record this one. I will put it on the Netflix queue. <laughs> there you go. Um, so so yeah. So that then you know is a sort of silent era of, of Universal. Um, and, you know, but then as the 30s dawned, you know, then the, the, they started producing the films that, you know, you would probably be more familiar with. You know, uh, 1931 is the very famous, you know, uh, Bela Lugosi Dracula. Yeah. Right. Um, right on the heels of that, I, you know, I think the very same year was uh, uh, the James Whale, you know, Frankenstein with, with Boris Karloff. Uh -huh. um, the Mummy was another big one yeah, that, uh, you that. know, that, that Karloff was doing. Um, James Whale, the uh, the director of Frankenstein, um, had another famous uh, movie for Universal that I know you're at least familiar with the title because you sing it all the time with regard to Rocky Horror. Yep. Um, but you know what I'm going to say. Claude Rains, Invisible Man. The Invisible Man, exactly right. Yeah. So yeah, that was a Universal film. And uh, so, yeah, you know, in that early 1930s period, you know, Universal basically captured the public's imagination. You know, all these sort of literary characters were being adapted, you know, in a way that A, you know, um, special effects were able to catch up with and, you know, produce these in a realistic looking fashion. And B, also in a very sort of entertaining way. Um, so much so that, you know, it spawned probably what was, you know, some of the earliest franchises, you know, like you had uh, Frankenstein, but right on the heels of that, you then would have Bride of Frankenstein or right. like, you know, Son of Frankenstein or Curse of Frankenstein or what have you, you know, and they just, they went crazy with it, you know, across all those movies I just mentioned, you know, mm -hmm. Dracula has like House of Dracula or like Mummy has, you know, the Ghost of the Mummy, that, that type thing. Does the Invisible Man have one? Does the Invisible Man have one? I don't know. I, you know, I wouldn't think so for a simple reason that I think, you know, Invisible Man is a self-contained story. You know, it sort of, you know, has a beginning and an yeah. end or whatever. Yeah. I, I think, well, although that wouldn't be, you know, a, a precluding factor, you know, certainly they, you know, kill Frankenstein or whatever, but he comes back, <laughs> you know, but, but no, another thing that I don't think that there's an Invisible Man franchise, at least from Universal. Um, so that would have been the 1930s. Uh, moving into the 1940s, uh, you know, so I mentioned Lon Chaney, mm -hmm. um, probably more famous than him, you know, a, a guy who became huge, you know, throughout the 40s was his son, uh, Lon Chaney Jr. And uh, and his major character, you know, I'd like to say at least at the uh, the dawn of the 40s was uh, was the Wolfman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you've seen Classic. That, yeah. You've seen that sort of traditional, very, you know, like, you know, I think it was yak fur actually is what they used to, really? yeah, to create his, uh, uh, his mask, which actually, you know, I think. They continue to use that. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure Chewbacca in, in Star Wars, that's also yeah. Wow. <laughs> I imagine it's pretty hot. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. 
Um, so the Wolfman, you know, like we were talking about franchises before, uh-huh. um, you know, so with Frankenstein and Dracula, you know, they were basically building these franchises around that character. Uh, the Wolfman is kind of unique and actually a little bit more of a uh, progressive idea. Um, you know, so you and I, as we're doing this podcast or whatever, what have we said, you know, in the last few episodes has been core to the growth of the DC universe? Like up until a certain point, we were doing standalone stories. And then with the introduction of Zatanna, we were sort of talking about what? Crossovers. Crossovers, exactly. So Wolfman was the first sort of um, universal monster that acted as that pivot point for their expansion of their overall universe. Uh Um, Following the Wolfman, they made a movie called um, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. And can you guess who met in that movie? Um, Frankenstein and the Wolfman. Frankenstein and the Wolfman, exactly. (laughs) Um, So that would have been like, you know, mid-40s or whatever. And then um, they followed that up with a movie called House of Frankenstein. Where um, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, uh, both meet Dracula. Ah, okay. <laughs> and then the next movie they had was House of Dracula, um, which, you know, the, the same sort of trio or whatever. Uh-huh. I think they might have swapped some of the actors or whatever. I think, you know, at some point, uh, believe it or not, uh, Bella Lugosi, you know, wound up actually playing Frankenstein, <laughs> which must have been like, you know, a kick in the nuts to him because he yeah, hated yeah. Boris Karloff. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, but like I say, um, you know, that then was the sort of like basis for, uh, you know, universal you know, continuing the first wave of Monster Mania. Um, it began waning, you know, in, in the late 40s. Um, but that being said, you know, they didn't want to let it go. Uh, one of the other big pulls that Universal had was their their comedy division. Uh-huh. Um, you know, two of the, the big names there were, you know, of course, you know, Abbott and Costello. Of course. Right. And, you know, if you know anything about the, the history of Hollywood or whatever, Abbott and Costello, you know, their movies are basically Abbott and Costello meets so-and-so. Right, yes. And so Universal married these two ideas and it was basically, you know, like Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. They meet, you know, the mummy. Uh, oh, you talked about the, the franchise or whatever. No, Abbott and Costello met the invisible. Man. Oh, well, there it is. <laughs> so there you go. That, there's your Invisible Man franchise, you know, his standalone movie and, uh, and Abbott and Costello. Um, but yeah, so that sort of spanned, you know, the late 40s into the 1950s. And, uh, and by that point, you know, the, the sort of uh, death knell was being sound for, you know, the, this type of cinema. You know, we mm-hmm. had talked before, you know, with the advent of, of the Red Scare, movies at that time sort of shifted to a more sci-fi bent. Um, so there's still, quote unquote, monster movies, but they were more like alien type monster movies like okay. alien invasion yeah. type thing and then your traditional horror films you know like your your Frankenstein and Dracula they kept going but not so much in American cinema um you might be a little bit familiar with uh Hammer Horror oh yeah 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 from the UK right so that would have been like you know Christopher Lee mm-hmm. and like Peter Cushing and so they had their whole series of like Frankenstein and Dracula movies or whatever um but as far as Universal you know that um was basically you know the end of that era you know, at least as far as uh, cinema was concerned. Um, but that being said, you know, that wasn't the death knell for these characters, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. You know, as movies started waning, you know, in the early 1950s, um, it was doing so because it was being supplanted by another form of media, you know, that was gaining, you know, prominence in the U.S. at the time. You know, and as we've talked about here on this show, you know, what would you imagine that to be? Television? Yep. Um, in the early days of TV, you know, um, they were starved for, you know, sort of content, you know, obviously they had original programming, you know, but there was huge gaps, you know, where there was nothing to fill in, you know, certain hours or whatever, um, to fill that void, you know, what they wound up doing, um, 
is uh, turning to a lot of these Hollywood studios and saying, you know, is there any of your old content, you know, that we could use to fill this up? You know, Hollywood, seeing, you know, an, another opportunity to, to make a buck, said, you know, well, what we could do is basically package a lot of the old stuff we had done. You know, we've talked about before how movies used to have, like, you know, shorts or, you know, like cartoons, so on and so forth. Uh-huh. Um, so all these studios, what they would do then is package, you know, a lot of those cartoons, sell them to the networks, you know, who would then basically, you know, franchise it out to their affiliates. Um, one of the big companies to do this was uh, Columbia Pictures, um, mm-hmm. who we had mentioned before on our show as uh, being the owners of the sort of second tier animation, um, the Fox and the Crow. Remember I was uh-huh. saying, yeah. right? And then they had a couple other features like uh, like Tito and his burrito <laughs> and the <laughs> Flippity and Flop, which were like basically a, a cat and dog, t- sort of like Tom and Jerry type thing. Oh, cute! And uh, and all these features, you know, we had mentioned that DC had licensed them as well, uh-huh. um, you know, for comic books. Um, but the animation themselves, you know, were packaged by a uh, subsidiary of uh, Columbia um, called Screen Gems. Um, they're still in, in, in that practice. That sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. They, they still do a lot of TV shows today and, and movies and such. Um, but yeah, but at the time, basically, it was their outlet, you know, for, like I say, a lot of these old, um, you know, shorts. And so I was like, Three Stooges also was one of theirs or whatever. Uh-huh. And they would, like, put these together to say, all right, we're selling a block of, like, 50 Three Stooges shorts, you know, out to, you know, whatever, ABC or whoever the network was. Okay. Who would then, you know, like, as I say, ship that out around the country to, you know, various local stations uh, who would then play them, you know, in a franchise-type mode. Um, I know it sounds like kind of a weird concept, but I think um, if I mention, you know, a couple of the, uh, um, you know, shows that would do this or whatever, they're probably going to ring a bell. Like, have you ever heard of, like, Bozo the Clown? Yeah. Yeah, so Bozo the Clown wasn't one dude. What he was was a character that each local station all around the country would have a guy dress up like Bozo, mm-hmm. and he would be like, you're, so if you lived in, like, you know, Boston or whatever, you know, you know Bozo the Clown, you think that's whatever, but then if you go to Washington, D.C., completely different guy. But what they're doing is they're playing those same packaged cartoons, you know, in this, you know, franchise format. Right, right, right. Okay. Right, right. Um, so with regard to Universal and, mm-hmm. you know, and the monsters that, that we've been talking about, they too, you know, decided to put together a package of a lot of their, you know, classic, you know, films or whatever. Um, they gathered up 52, uh, you know, these are, so you know that they had a wow. large catalog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and together they, um, you know, they created a package called Shock Theater. Uh-huh. Um, Screen Gems, you know, that same company, you know, that was, uh, you know, a Columbia subsidiary, you know, bought into Universal's package and then basically set up Shock Theater as a franchise all around the country as well. Uh-huh. Um, sort of unique thing there is that, you know, I mentioned like, you know, Bozo the Clown for like cartoons. Well, these movies, you know, they would play them sort of like late night on Saturday or whatever. Each town sort of had their own like horror host. Oh, you know, okay. like you know, we've talked before about like, the Crypt Keeper or whatever. Yeah, yeah, there would be an actual like dude in each city that would sort of, sort of be like spooky. We're sort of pulling on an earlier um, idea from a uh, a woman actually out in um, L.A. who I, I think you probably know the name uh, Vampira. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. So she was. Uh, we probably know her from like the Ed Wood movie. You know, sort of yeah. schlocky, <laughs> and she was in the yeah, Plan Nine from Outer Space. Um, but yeah, she was basically just like a uh, like a local L.A. model or whatever. You know, matter of fact, I think she. Um, did like cheesecake photos and stuff like that. And uh, matter, we talked earlier about um, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Yes, yeah, she actually was in the uh, the review of uh, the famous uh, stripper, uh, Lily St. Cyr. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So that sort of ties it all together. But um, yeah, so this woman went to a costume party dressed as, this is going to blow your mind, Morticia Adams. Not from, <laughs> not from the TV show, The Adams Family, but from the New Yorker cartoons where they were, you know, she basically dressed up like a cartoon character. This was before the TV show even existed. Oh, wow. Yeah. She showed up at this costume party 
And a television producer was there and he's like, wow, you're, you're amazing or whatever. He's like, I had, I had this idea, you know, we have all these, you know, sort of schlocky movies or whatever. Would you be interested in, you know, being a sort of like, you know, local TV host to, to present these? And she jumped all over it. Yeah, yeah this yeah. was her big break. Cool. So, yeah, so for about a year in um, 1954, um, you know, that's what she did. She was, you know, and this was not a national thing. You know, this, like I said, this even preceded the whole idea of shock theater. She was just presenting a lot of like B movies or whatever. Uh-huh. And at the end of the year, you know, the network came to her and was like, look, we want to buy the rights to your character. You know, we love Vampira, you know, but when you go, we would like somebody else to be, and she refused to do it. And they probably canceled her show. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that's why she wound up being in Ed Wood movies or whatever. You know, that was a, the short-lived, you know, career of Vampira. Um, but that being said, the core idea, you know, a, a horror host who would present these movies was then, when Shock Theater became, you know, available, um, something that took off all around the country. Um, here in Philly, we actually had probably one of the, uh, the more famous ones. Um, he was a guy, uh, John Zacherly, um, who created a character named... Uh, uh, Roland, you know, it was sort of like a, uh, almost like a mortician looking guy. Like he, uh, you know, would dress in sort of like, you know, the dark clothes, you know, what he would look at almost like Barnabas Collins from Dark Shadows. Mm, okay. Um, and so, and the reason he became so popular is actually because he was friends with uh, Dick Clark. Oh. Yeah. Who ran. Bandstand. Bandstand, exactly. Right. In Philly. And so, you know, Dick Clark would have him on the show and he'd present him as sort of like, you know, a hip, you know, type character. He'd call him the, the cool ghoul, you know, <laughs> every time he'd come on. So, yeah, so he really took off uh, so much so that, you know, after a little bit of stint in uh, Philadelphia, he actually went up to uh, New York City and continued his act, you know, working directly for ABC. Mm. Um, and like I say, there was others, you know, Chicago had a guy named uh, Marvin who was a, sort of like a creepy little dude, almost like a Peter Laurier type thing. Yeah, he is creepy. Yeah. <laughs> but, um but like I say, you know, uh, all around the country, you know, each city would have one of these guys who would basically, you know, present shock theater. Um, that ran, you know, basically the the late sort of 50s, like, you know, 57, 58. Um, you know, I think by the, the 60s, it had begun, uh, you know, petering out a little bit. Um, but, you know, we talked about, you know, Monster Mania. This was truly the, the beginning of that. You know, once these movies got back on TV, there was a whole new generation that was just fascinated, you know, by these characters. Uh-huh. You know, like... From two different levels, you know, A, you would have the people that, you know, as children probably had seen them in the movie theaters who were now, you know, having a sort of, you know, nostalgia vibe, you know, but then additionally, you know, there was a whole new generation of kids, you know, for whom mm-hmm. this was brand new. Um, and to capitalize on that, there was a, a guy named um, Forrest J. Ackerman, who um, was originally a, 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 a literary agent, you know, working in, um, we talked before about like sci-fi pulps and stuff yep. like that. Um, you know, he'd worked with like uh, Ray Bradbury or like, you know, Isaac Asimov. Those are big names. Yeah, he was totally right, you know, right in the, the thick of it, you know, like I say, back in, in the pulp days. Um, but what he did, you know, basically, as I say, to, to capitalize on, you know, this um, sudden wave of popularity is he um, formed his own magazine um, through a company called uh, Warren Publications, which um, we're not going to get into right now. Um, I actually, when we do DC's horror host, when we finally get around to doing like Kane and Abel, you know, uh-huh. the, uh, the core of, of our show, you yes. know, the Parliament of Rooks, uh, I think at that time, um, you know, I'm going to go into a greater discussion about the uh, uh, DC horror editor, uh, Joe Orlando, who has sort of roots in Warren Publications, and I think at that time is when I'll delve into that a little bit um, deeper. Okay. Um, but just right now, you know, just know that it's a, uh, it's a company that um, was pretty big in, in horror publication. They had a couple of magazines like Creepy and, and Eerie. And, uh, and then it's sort of like in the 70s, a sort of like sexy vampire lady. You might know Vampirella. Have you ever heard of that? I have heard of that. Yeah, yeah. So, but like I said, we'll deal with Warren later on. Long story short, Forrest J. Ackerman 
um, you know, working for Warren, set up a magazine of his own called uh, Famous Monsters of Filmland. And, uh, and what it was was basically a sort of early fan magazine. Like, um, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Fangoria. Do you know that? I've heard that word, but I don't, I've not seen it. Yeah, that was, I don't know if it's still around. It was a big magazine, like, in the 80s that dealt with, like, you know, special effects and, like, sci-fi movies or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, well, before that, you know, the, the precedent, you know, that was set was this magazine, as I say, called Famous Monsters of Filmland. And basically, it was a monthly publication and just centered around, you know, all those old movies, you know, basically behind the scenes, you know, uh, of the makeup, you know, like how did they do Frankenstein, you know, or like, you know, interviews with, you know, a lot of the, those actors or whatever, you know, Lon Chaney Jr., whatever happened to you, or yeah. that, that type of thing. And huge hit, like I say, you know, as a as a cult fan favorite, you know, Famous Monsters of Filmland is, you know, highly collectible even to this day. Huh. Um you know, and that was basically the beginning of, you know, the, the sort of, um, you know, merchandising, I guess you'd say, you know, around these universal monsters. You know, this uh, this magazine, you know, sort of spread the word, the sort of rebroadcast on television and got people really pumped up about it. And, you know, like anyone would in the middle of the craze, you know, you start pumping out products, you mm-hmm, know, to, yeah. to tap into the, that mania. You know, so in the early 60s, you know, you could find the universal monsters, you know, on like lunch boxes or like, you know, stickers or posters or, you know, one of the big things. Um, especially, you know, since we're reading so many comic books, you know, that we're going to see ads for is uh, is models, right? You yeah. Know, we keep seeing the things for, you know, the different cars, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a big modeling company of the day, uh, Aurora, um, one of their huge sellers was uh, models centered around these universal monsters. Um, you know, they first debuted it um, back in 1961, um, you know, with their Frankenstein model. Um, but then from that point, you know, just, you know, year after year, just kept pumping them out. You know, they, they had a Dracula, they had a Wolfman. Uh, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon, you know, basically, yeah. you know, any, any of those ones. things. Yeah, yeah, Quasimodo, you know, we talked about earlier. Uh, one of the ones I remember as being, you know, for years, I was always like, you know, what is this thing? Like, I don't know this movie. Um, they had a model called uh, The Forgotten Prisoner of Castlemare, which um, basically is a skeleton, you know, chained to a wall or whatever, you know, so obviously he's the... Like for- in a dungeon? Well, yeah, right. So he's the forgotten prisoner. He's just like left there. Ugh. But I'm always like, you know, what movie is that from? You know, and so while I was doing the research for this show, you know, I finally, you know, decided, oh, let me track that down or whatever. No movie whatsoever. Basically, they had made, you know, so much money off of these monsters. They're like, you know what? Why don't we start producing some of our own that we don't have to pay licensing fees for? Oh, so, yeah. So, <laughs> Forgotten Prisoner of Castle Mary, yeah, it was an Aurora original. Um, but like I say, you know, uh, Monster Mania was everywhere. You know, if you could think of it as a child, you know, you could buy it as a toy, you know, related mm-hmm. to monsters. And um, so, you know, we were talking about television. Um, you know, so obviously, you know, that industry is not one to miss out on a craze like that. You know, certainly they had, you know, licensed these packages for rebroadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next logical step would be, you know, sort of original content, you know, around that idea. Of course. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. So um, so in early 1964, um, CBS put out a uh, an announcement, you know, in the trade publications basically saying that that coming September, um, they were going to launch their own... Um, monster-themed, you know, television program, you know. And, uh, you know, could you imagine what that might be? Oh, that was probably the Munsters. The Munsters, exactly. <laughs> um, so, like I said, they announced that, you know, at the beginning of the year, and, uh, you know, rival station, ABC, um, there was a producer there who had been working uh, for a little while to obtain the rights. I mentioned before, um, Adam's Family was a um, 
you know, a New Yorker cartoon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, he had been trying to develop a television property around that, independent of the Munsters. Um, but it was sort of, you know, like held up in production hell. Uh, but once CBS came out with their announcement, oh, we're going to make this monster-themed show, all of a sudden ABC greenlit that show. They're like, go ahead, make Adam's <laughs> Family or whatever. They wanted to get theirs out first. And then also, you know, on the, on the heels of that, they actually had another program already in the works that, uh, not necessarily monster-themed, but sort of, you know, on that whole, you know, supernatural front, um, you know, a witch-centric program, you know, that it was going to debut that same, uh, you know, season. Um, take a wild guess what that might be. Um, I'm bewitched. Bewitched, exactly. Literally, um, within one week of each other, you know, in September of 1964, on ABC, uh, The Addams Family and Bewitched debuted, and then across the street, you know, at CBS, The Monsters. Uh -huh. One one week, that's, all three of these craziness. shows. It's insane. Um, and so earlier we mentioned Screen Gems, you know, the... Um, you know, Columbia subsidiary or whatever, you know, that, uh, you know, was working with television, Bewitch was actually a Screen Gems property. Oh. Yeah, it's sort of, sort of interesting to, you know, look at the, at the big picture. Um, so, like I said, you know, all the stars aligned for, you know, these things to become hits. Um, you know, Monster Mania had swept the nation. Uh, they were hungry for, you know, more and more. And so original content, it was just what the public wanted. Uh, all three of these, you know, went through their... Adam's Family was not, you know, the the hugest hit, you know, like, you know, it was still a hit or whatever, but Munsters, you know, w for some reason was the bigger hit of the two. You know, a lot of times mm -hmm. you think of these as being like, you know, head-to-head -head competitors. Um, they weren't really, you know, Munsters is more of like, you know, your your average sitcom. Matter of fact, the production company that put it together was the same who had done uh, Leave it to Beaver. Um, so, um, yeah, so a lot of the, the same sort of middle America ethic was just being sort of subverted. You're just putting a monster face on it. Right. You know, but Herman and Lily and Eddie, you know, it's that same sort of dynamic. Right. And who's, uh, what was the daughter's name? Um, well, Marilyn? Was she, was she the daughter? I thought she was like the niece. I was, I was oh, never maybe. a huge monster fan or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But the one, the, right, the girl who like looked normal or whatever they consider to be sort of a freak. Yeah, that was Marilyn. Right. Yeah. Right. Poor um, thing was so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but my own taste was always more, I, I enjoyed the Addams Family more. Me too. Like yeah. I, this sort of like, you know, surreal type thing, you know, and the actors they had on that, you know, John Aston and, you know, like, you know, Carolyn Jones. Oh my God. I think she, she's so gorgeous. Sort of, but, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, you know, but yeah, like just the, the whole vibe of Adam's family was really, you know, at, at least for me or whatever, you know, of the two, I prefer that. Um, but America in the, you know, in the 1960s, I guess, preferred the monsters. Um, Bewitched was actually a bigger hit than either of them. I was going to say, <laughs> I was surprised that you said that they preferred the monsters because I would think that they would have just preferred Bewitched. Well, I, was, I wasn't uh, putting Bewitched into that whole conversation. I was just saying, you know, yeah. these two, which are, you know, traditionally considered to be competitors or whatever. Um, they only lasted two years. Mm -hmm. You know, I said at the very beginning of the show, you know, that we had talked uh, last week about Batmania. Yeah. Well, the reason these both of these shows went off the air is that as soon as Batman debuted, it sapped up all the ratings from both. <laughs> you know, like, like you know, children, you know, for whom these things were geared or whatever are very fickle. You know, so when Batman came out, you know, that was the death knell for like the Munsters and the Addams Family. Uh, Bewitched actually ran a full eight years, I want to say, you know. That's a good long run. Yeah, I mean, out, outliving even Batman. Like, I think by the time Batman had gone off the air, whatever Bewitch was still running. I, I imagine that she really resonated with uh, with many families. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so that's basically, you know, the, the history of, of monster mania in, in America. You know, why suddenly in the early 1960s, you know, all these, you know, properties from the 30s and 40s, you know, suddenly became back in vogue. Um, you know, we've talked about, you know, the merchandising, we've talked about, you know, television, um, you know, but it's a lot of history, you know, for our show, which mm -hmm. is supposed to be geared toward comics. Exactly. Um, but there's a good reason for that. You know, all this stuff, as I say, was happening in the early 1960s. Um, well, what 
we've talked about ad nauseum on our show was going on with comics, you know, in the 1950s. You know, why were, you know, monsters not necessarily something that would be, you know, readily acceptable, you know, in the, uh, in the format of comic books? Well, the Comics Code Authority has the rules against Comics that. Comics Code Authority, exactly. Right, you know, um, as we talked about, you know, over and over again, um, basically, you know, there were rules that you couldn't have vampires, you couldn't have the undead, you couldn't have, you know, any of these things. Well, you know, you can't have Dracula, he's a vampire. You can't have, you know, Frankenstein, he's undead. You know, you can't have right. zombies, you can't have mummies, that whole nine yards. Um, but that being said, you know, there was one comic company um, that had been publishing characters, you know, of this type for actually quite a number of years, you know, but sort of under the radar um, because of the format. Um, I think we've only mentioned it, you know, one or two times here on this show, um, but there was a comic company, you know, that uh, ran for, you know, a number of years um, that was focused really on uh, little kid features, like uh, like Richie Rich and such. Mm -hmm, yeah. And, uh, you know, and that was called uh, Harvey Comics. Um, so some of the features that Harvey, you know, had been publishing, like I say, for years, you know, to, to uh, great effect were things like... Casper the Friendly Ghost, uh, Wendy the Good Little Witch, you know, <laughs> Hot Stuff the Little Devil, you know, so basically like, all, you know, for all intents and purposes, what are, you know, supernatural characters, but because they were put into sort of a humorous context, you know, Comics Code looked the other way and said, oh, well, this is like little kid, you know, it's being played for laughs. Um, get him young. Get him young, exactly. <laughs> um, so DC, you know, uh, always, you know, looking to exploit whatever, you know, is hot as far as trends, you know, I think, you know, I don't know this for certain or whatever, you know, but I think sort of looked at that model being, you know, uh, put out by Harvey and said, you know, maybe that's how we can get a, you know, piece of this, you know, monster pie, you know, basically we can slide that in, you know, to some of our existing humor titles. Um, now you and I have talked before about a, a sort of weird niche that um, that DC Comics had, you know, um, with regard to uh, some of their licensed titles. Um, you know, certainly, you know, we've looked at Fox and the Crow and things uh -huh. that are licensed like that. Um, but additionally, there's those comics that are, you know, based on real life people. Um, like we've mentioned before, you know, Jerry Lewis and Bob Hope. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know you hate Bob Hope so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan of Jerry Lewis either. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but a lot of these you know type titles were um, they, they came out of um, a relationship that was uh, fomented by a uh, an individual by the name of Whitney Ellsworth, who was the uh, editorial director of uh, DC at the time. Um, going back about you know a half decade, I think like mid 50s, or like 1955 or whatever, um, when the Adventures of Superman television show was being produced, you know, the, the George Reeves one, sort of black yeah. and white, you know, uh -huh. faster than speeding bullet, um, Whitney Ellsworth had gone out to Hollywood, you know, to act as DC's liaison um, to that production company. You know, while he was out there, he made a lot of Hollywood contacts, mm -hmm. and accordingly, when he came back to DC, you know, um, a lot of those individuals, you know, had their own comics made, you know. Uh, like we say, you know, Bob Hope, Jerry Lewis, which originally started as Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, um, but even some like more obscure things like they had a they had a comic book, you know, for Pat Boone, for instance, you know, or, you know, like on the uh, crazy. yeah, like on the, the cowboy side, you know, um, there was a guy named uh, Jimmy Wakely is long forgotten, you know, by history or whatever. Yeah, He's kind of like a Gene Autry type. Okay. Um, but like uh, Dale Evans, you know, she had her own thing. Even like this is super weird to me, you know, because, you know, I'm a big uh, film noir fan. Yeah. But Alan Ladd. You know, who's like a film noir actor, had yeah. his own comic with DC for a while. It was really? very, very bizarre. Yeah. So that's, like I say, those would be like, you know, their, their real life comics. Um, but then additionally, even some of the, uh, the TV shows of the day, um, you know, also had comic adaptations with DC that were negotiated by Whitney Ellsworth. Um, Jackie Gleason and the Honeymooners, uh, Ozzie and Harriet. 
um, Charlie Chan, believe it or not. Huh. <laughs> yeah. It's like super, super bizarre. Uh, Sergeant Bilko, I don't know. Do you know that? Yeah. Sort of military thing, which uh, <laughs> it always makes you think that, like, I wish there had been a McHale's Navy uh, comic. <laughs> I would have read the hell out of that. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, by the time that we're talking about, you know, the, the mid-60s, you know, when uh, Monster Mania was, you know, in high swing, a lot of those titles had already been canceled, you know, they, those were things in like the late 50s, early 60s, and two of the uh, the only extant ones, you know, at the time, were Jerry Lewis and Bob Hope. Uh. Um, so accordingly, you know, I guess DC, you know, looked at, at the market and said, let's try to monster them up. Oh, yay. <laughs> so uh, since I know what a huge fan you are of, uh, of Bob Hope, <laughs> I'm going to, to spare you the actual, you know, review. We're not going to read any of these comics, but I think just to, to demonstrate, you know, um, that sort of shifting trend. I, I think what I'd like to do is just show you a, a sort of selection of covers um, so you can see the, oh, the, okay. the sort of trend. Yay! Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we don't have to review Bob Hope and Jerry Lewis. <laughs> um, one thing that I do want to mention um, before uh, before we look at the covers is uh, just a little bit of history, um, you know, behind the sort of editorial shift in these magazines. Um, up until, um, you know, that point, you know, up until the early 60s, um, they had, all the humor titles had basically had oversight by an editor by the name of uh, Larry Nadel, um, longtime editor with DC Comics, um, but unfortunately in the early 60s, uh, he passed away, um, you know, oh, okay. yeah, while still working for them. Um, so accordingly, a, a new editor, you know, was brought in for a handful of those titles. They divvied them up, basically, but um, the ones we're talking about, um, Jerry Lewis, uh, Bob Hope, and then also Fox and the Crow, mm -hmm. um, all fell under the editorial purview of a guy named uh, Murray Boltonoff, um, who we haven't, I don't think we've talked about him before, but I have mentioned that his uh, his brother, uh, Henry Boltonoff, is the guy who draws all those little gag features, uh, including Cap's hobby hints, mm -hmm. that yeah. sort of, yeah, like little, you know, kitty type art. Um, and then accordingly, you know, uh, when Murray Boltonoff came over, uh, he also brought his own, you know, proven creative team. Uh, writer Arnold Drake, um, uh -huh. yeah, who we've mentioned before, yeah, is sort of like pinch hitter who would save a lot of these titles or whatever. Yep. Um, so certainly, you know, by this point, you know, the celebrity titles, you know, Bob Hope and Jerry Lewis were flagging or whatever. So Arnold Drake was brought in to, you know, bolster this back up. And then his uh, his sort of long-term partner, uh, artistically, Bob Oxner, you know, came in. With and the cheesecake. The cheesecake yep. ladies and stuff like that, yeah, was the, the primary artist then, you know, for the monster phase of both of, of these titles. Um, so, like I say, let's go ahead and, uh, you know, pull up some of these covers and, and like I say, you know, see if you can identify the, the sort of trend, uh, you know, that's come across. Um, so, first things first, let's uh, pull up some Jerry Lewis. And, yeah, here we go. All right. So, this first one, uh, we're going to take a look at here. This is from... Um, July of 1964. Now remember, I say the uh, the CBS announcement, you know, of their their Munsters TV show was like January of 64. Mm -hmm. You know, and now bear in mind the dates on these titles. You know, like I say, have a couple uh, months lead time. Right. So a July publication was probably you know May. yeah May sort of so obviously you know they they read that press release as well and said you know what first and foremost you know cover shot let's uh, you know have a little bit of Monsters. Yeah. Um, now, like I said. Still bound by the comics code, you know, you still see the little stamp yep. there or whatever. Um, so I happen to know, you know, the inside of the story or whatever, these, you know, quote unquote monsters, we see a Frankenstein, we see Dracula, and we see the Wolfman, uh -huh. they are not actually the monsters. What this story is about is that Jerry Lewis, you know, happens upon an old, you know, sort of defunct 
haunted house where squatting are three out of work actors who used to play uh, <laughs> right wow. exactly yeah so you could just really get around that easily exactly right so the, these three guys you know i, I got from you know uh, a comics.org their names are actually um boris killoff is the guy playing okay Frankenstein. Uh, yeah bella laguli is playing okay. uh, count drinkula and uh -huh. then and then peter leary is playing dog boy you know like wolf man <laughs> yeah. exactly so clever way though to circumnavigate you know yeah. the, the comics code um, you know, as we look through a couple more months or whatever, you know, here's one very evocative of, you know, King Kong. Mm -hmm. um, this little boy we see here on the uh, on the cover from uh, this is uh, from uh, November of 64 is uh, a, a mainstay, you know, from this point onward in uh, in Jerry Lewis uh, comics. You know, one of the uh, elements that Arnold Drake in introduced, you know, I guess it's sort of a, a POV character, you know, for little kids that, you know, maybe didn't relate to a, an aging comedian or whatever, is Jerry Lewis's little nephew, Renfrew. Renfrew. <laughs> yeah, no ridiculous name. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, this here they introduce him. And then if you look a couple issues up, you know, in uh, uh, January of 1965, these monsters here, you see a sort of mummy, a sort of like, uh, you know, almost vampire. Va vampire, exactly, or like Morticia, and, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon. What these are, are not actually monsters. These are models that uh -huh. Renfrew made. So basically tying into that whole oh. Aurora type thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's pretty clever. As a matter of fact, the, the King Kong one, um, just hold on one second. I'm going to uh, um, pull up the back cover as well. And uh, and yeah, so there you see. You Those know, are the models? Well, the, well, this is a drawing of the of the models, whatever. Yeah, but this um, the way that they're posed here, you know, is the way that the models will be built. And so what this one is, is introducing the, the new ones to the line, you know, in addition to the Universal Monsters, it looks like they have also licensed, you know, King Kong and, and now Godzilla. Mm -hmm. um, but there in the background, yeah, we see Frankenstein, Dracula, Wolfman, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Mummy, and then, uh, you know, Phantom of the Opera. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, these were the sort of classic Aurora models. They which, look good. Yeah, well, and like I say, you know, they're doing a story adaptation here in, in Jerry Lewis. Um, another big thing you know that was going to be introduced just a, a few issues later um you know we talked about uh bewitched you know and that uh -huh. whole craze um so in may of 1965 you see this woman here on the cover yeah and sort of witchy looking lady with a yeah, black yeah. cat yeah so this is um you know they, they brought in basically a housekeeper to take care of renfrew and you know for a couple issues jerry lewis is like oh she's so amazing look at how well she cleans the house or whatever but it turns out she's doing it by means of magic right. because she herself is a witch right of course her, her name is uh, mrs craft and uh -huh. then you know and then later on you know it finally comes to light you know that that she is magic or whatever and he's like you're a witch she's like yes actually you can just call me witchcraft and so <laughs> and so yeah that's the uh, you know like i said another character in there you know who she looks like who's that witch hazel Witch Hazel. Who's From Witch Hazel? Bugs Bunny. For, oh, the the sort of like green, you know, like yeah, yeah. Basically, she has the same shape or whatever. This woman's like you know Caucasian or whatever. Yeah, but exactly, yeah, same type design, a sort of you know cartoony yeah. type, type witch. Exactly. Um, one of the big stories that um, you know these three characters, you know Renfrew, Jerry Lewis, and uh, and witchcraft get involved in is uh, in Jerry Lewis number eighty nine from. Uh, July of 1965. Um, that's the one where, you know, she finally admits to him that, yes, um, she's a witch. Um, but then more importantly, you know, uh, I, I guess a, a representative from her land, um, which it turns out she's from the land of Ooze. 
<laughs> comes and said there's trouble and we need you to come back you know mm-hmm. and confront the uh, the wizard of ooze uh, so okay. yeah yeah so the, the you know the three of them sort of go through this mystical land and you know have like sort of crazy almost like mad magazine type adventures just really you know, sort of like bizarre goofy type things but they finally get to you know the wizard and it's this big alfred e newman head you know so but similar to wizard of oz you know you got to look for the man behind the curtain. So after, you know, the Wizard of Ooze sends Jerry out, you know, to get all these bizarre, you know, type implements or whatever that are nearly impossible to get. Mm-hmm. He comes back, presents it to him, and then discovers that the Alfred E. Newman head is just a, um, you know, facade for the man behind the curtain. Right. Pulls it off, and guess who it is? Who? <laughs> Bob Hope. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, sort of like a, you know, inner company, you know, crossover between, you know, their, their two remaining, like I say, celebrity humor titles. And uh, and one that I'm going to use then as a segue um, to take a look at some Bob Hope covers as well. And I, I, I swear to you, this is the deepest extent that we will delve into Bob Hope. So you, you. you needn't fear. <laughs> All right, just one sec. All right. So Bob Hope, uh, you know, a little more... Um, traditional than than uh, Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis uh, comics were always, like I say, very sort of surreal and like a Mad Magazine type style. Um, Bob Hope, for a, you know a great deal of his run, was basically just like hijinks. Like like right. you and I are both really not fans of his brand of humor. You know, just sort of like you know almost like a. Jack Benny, although I prefer Jack Benny or whatever, but just that, that sort of like dry, slow type thing. And for my money, not something that translates very well to a comic book. Right. And, you know, I guess Murray Boltonoff, you know, agreed because as soon as, you know, they brought Arnold Drake over, they basically re- revamped the whole title. Um, first thing they did was introduce a talking dog. <laughs> yeah, just completely off the wall or whatever. They're like, you know what, Bob Hope can't carry this thing. So they introduced a dog named uh, Harvard Harvard the Third. And basically, he was like, you know, the the smart guy to Bob Hope's, you know, mm-hmm. doofus or whatever. Yeah. You know, so for a couple issues, you know, they ran with that. Um, but then, like I say, you know, once Monster Mania hit, you know, that uh, found its way into Bob Hope as well. Um, you know, you see here, uh, this is number 92 from, um, you know, April of 1965. We see Bob Hope basically turning into a sort of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type yes. thing. Uh-huh. And so, uh, so yeah, that would kind of go, you know, for a couple issues. Um, but then the biggest, you know, sort of revamp, you know, took place in October of 1965 in, in Bob Hope, no, number 95, um, where they completely revamped the title. You know, basically all the sort of hijinks was gone. And, and actually, to be honest, the focus on Bob Hope was gone. He almost became a supporting character in his own title huh. in favor of uh, his own nephew. So we had Jerry Lewis, you know, had Renfrew. Right. Um, well, Bob Hope had uh, this nephew named... Tadwaller Jutfruus, which is basically a fruit juice, like backward almost. Okay. You know, and so he was kind of like a nebbish, like a little like nerdy type boy. Um, but then the uh, the weird thing about him is that he was very sort of repressed in his anger. Like, you know, obviously being a nerd, everybody picked on him all the time. And he's just like, no, don't pick on me. Da, 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 da. But he kept it all bottled up. And so when he would reach his breaking point, I guess that anger would somehow transform him into one of the weirdest, like, I guess, superheroes you can imagine. Um, this guy named Super Hip. Super Hip? Super Hip, <laughs> exactly. And um, and what he was, you know, was basically like, almost like Austin Powers. Like, you know, like, really? yeah, like super, super mod, you know, this sort of like Chelsea boots and like, you know, uh, you know, ruffled shirt and velvet jacket, the whole nine yards. Um, but 
he would also then transform himself, like almost like a cartoon character, into all these like bizarre things. Like he could transform into like you know if he wanted to like get rid of bad guys, he could turn himself into like a giant vacuum cleaner huh. and like suck them up or whatever. Or like I remember one thing, um, you know, he wanted to stop a car, so he turned himself into like a giant jar of maple syrup and poured himself over. It's like super super bizarre. Like yeah, yeah absolutely, that is weird. yeah, like a cartoon ethic, absolutely. And uh, but then the monster element is that you know Tad Waller you know whatever went to this local high school called uh, Benedict Arnold High you know uh-huh, ha yeah, very yeah. funny um, but all the staff there were basically the Universal Monsters oh. you know um, the uh, the principal uh, was a guy named you know Doctor Vampire you know mm-hmm, who looked yeah, exactly yeah. like Dracula and then the you know the football coach was you know Coach Franklin Stein. Um, you had, you know, Heinrich von Wolfmann, uh-huh. you know, was the, the chemistry teacher. And then, uh, and then Zombia Gasly, who was basically the Morticia, you know, type character, yeah. was their, uh, you know, biology teacher. Um, but once again, you know, from a comics code perspective, are these the monsters? No. They're just, right. you know, like... Nothing you can do about right. it. Right. They're just teachers who happen to look that way. You know, there's nothing they're doing that's overly monstrous, except for the fact that they, you know, resemble these characters. As a matter of fact, you know... Um, uh, the coach, whatever. If everybody's like, "Who does he look like?" Oh, is it Frankenstein? He gets super mad. He's like, "I don't look like Frankenstein." Da da da. You know, oh, okay. ha ha ha. So yeah, typical Valco humor. Yeah. Um, but well, like I say, you know, as far as uh, you know, integrating monster mania into the comics, you know, that's where DC found their particular niche. And so I mentioned the third title, you know, that Murray Boltonoff took over. You know, we had Jerry Lewis, we had Bob Hope, um, but then one that we, you know, are more familiar with. Um, Fox and the Crow, mm-hmm. that's where they introduced, you know, an entirely original property, um, that being, you know, Stanley and his monster. Right. Right. So, you know, we've just spent, you know, however long, you know, recording all this information <laughs> as background to finally say, and now let's cover another Stanley and his monster story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and as promised, you know, like, you know, that's just background, you know, with regard to like the monsters, whatever, but as promised on the last episode, um, the Stanley and the Monster story that we're going to take a look at tonight um, doesn't necessarily have to do with, you know, monsters per se. You know, I just thought it would be a neat tie-in or whatever, you know, given the Boltonoff connection and giving the monster connection. Um, what we're actually going to look at tonight uh, is a new introduction into the Dover household. You know, Stanley already found his monster, um, mm-hmm. but tonight he's going to find a ghost. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's go ahead and uh, and take a look at that. All right, so the story we're taking a look at tonight is from uh, Fox and the Crow number 97 uh, from April of 1966. Uh, it's a story called It Just Goes to Show Ya. <laughs> sort of punny humor. Um, this uh, is a story by uh, Arnold Drake, obviously um, by pen- with pencils and inks by uh, Wynne Mortimer. Mm-hmm. Um, cover by uh, Mort Drucker. I think I mentioned a sort of mad magazine artist. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and letters, you know, by Irish Schnapp. Uh, so let's go ahead and take a look at that cover. Um, as we see that, you know, even this, this is, so this would be the third appearance then of Stanley as Monster and the previous two that we had looked at, you know, on the cover, you know, uh, Stanley the Monster, which is tiny little, like, you know, almost thumbnail sketch here, you know, he's, you see he's gaining real estate. He's got almost a, a full quarter yeah. of the, uh, of the cover here, you know, in this sort of, uh, vignette, you know, it's getting bigger, uh, you know, um, primarily, you know, we see our, uh, our titular stars there, Fox and the Crow. You know, Fox doing a bit of fishing while, you know, Crow is... Uh, Crow is as well. <laughs> yeah, stealing the fish out, out of his... Uh, Crow's doing better. Um, tackle box there, whatever it is. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, our little inset, you know, uh, Stanley's monster, 
Um, you know, we see the the monster lovingly, you know, holding Stanley in his arms as Stanley's feeding him, you know, whatever cereal or yeah. something. Um, but over their shoulder is peeking a a sort of Napoleonic ghost. You know, we see a very you know sort of white specter figure. You know, with that traditional sort of tricorn, you know, French hat. hat yeah. And uh, it reads, "The nation's number one laugh smash. Stanley and his monster get a ghost star." <laughs> <laughs> so let's go ahead and uh, open this up. As our uh, Inside, you know, facing page is, you know, sort of full page ad for uh, watch Superman on television. America's favorite adventure character comes right into your home in thrilling super action. As uh, now this goes back to earlier conversation, we were talking about affiliates. Yeah. You know, they should, they're listing like about like, you know, I guess, four columns. Yeah, of four, affiliates. like hundred, I guess, you know, different stations all around the country uh, where you can watch Superman. Is there a Philly one? Yeah. Uh, on the right. WKBS. What's that? I don't know that station. I think Channel 48. 48. Yeah, I don't know. Was that, um, is that's that like a, what I grew up with. Oh, that's like a, like a public access station or whatever. Um, I don't know that this is uh, the old Superman TV show because, like I say, that would have been mid-50s. You know, this is actually mid-60s. I, what I think this might be is actually the Superman cartoon, um, which I think, yeah, i got to take a look at our schedule, but I think before too long we might take a look at the the old you know animated superman i think there might be a couple little magic characters there okay um, cool. they're very very short like i said they're maybe like six minutes long or whatever um but maybe just worth a look you know so uh, i think that's what this is i mean the timeline uh, matches up um but anyway let's uh, get into our story uh with stanley and his monster in it just goes to show you uh, so our narration begins who found a monster in the sewer stanley who thinks his monster is a dog stanley and who's about to top even himself now? Ooh, you're so smart. <laughs> As uh, we see, it uh, looks like a, pa a pair of movers bring a big sort of grandfather clock into the Dover household. As, uh, you know, Mitch and Sheila, you know, are, are looking on with fondness. But, uh, you know, Stanley has concerns of his own. Daddy Thur, may I please have a $1.49? Um, but they're ignoring him. Isn't it magnificent, Mitch? A genuine 18th century French grandfather clock. Yeah, says Mitch, and it's costing me a genuine American fortune, $800. Is that more than a dollar forty-nine? Asked Stanley. How do you know it's a genuine antique? Says Mitch. Because the man in the store said so. Says uh, Sheila. Did he also say your husband will probably shoot himself when he gets the bill? No, he said you'd hang yourself. Before you do, sir, how about that a dollar forty-nine? <laughs> <laughs> you won with a dollar forty-nine, Stanley. Says Mitch. You know, still being a jerk. <laughs> that, that's how much a dozen lizards cost at the pet shop. Lizards. What do you need that for? To feed my dog, naturally. Ridiculous, says Mitch. In the first place, you don't have a dog. In the second place, dogs don't eat lizards. And in the third place, you can't have a dog. In the first place, says Stanley. But I really do have one, sir. He's eight feet tall and shaggy, and he has tusks, and he's 3,000 years old. Stop that nonsense, says wow. his father. Dogs don't grow that tall, don't have tusks, nor do they live even 20 years. Now get upstairs and stop your fibbing. Oh, he looks sad. Yeah, <laughs> he goes away all dejected. Mitch, maybe we're wrong. Stanley has no brothers or sisters and few friends. Maybe he does need a dog. Not until he's old enough to be responsible, says Mitch, and that's that. So he sees Stanley, you know, up in his room now with his quote-unquote dog, you know, the monster. Uh, and this is Stanley sitting on, on this, the ladder that the he's hiding from his parents, remember? Um, Why don't they believe me, says Stanley? That's something you have to learn about growing up, Stanley. Munch, munch, as <laughs> he's eating his, what is it, frozen chicken, chicken hearts. hearts. <laughs> they only believe what they want to believe, crunch, crunch. <laughs> and Dad says you're not really a dog. Not really a dog. Such nonsense. Wait, Stanley, I'll prove it to you. As uh, the monster gets down on all fours. <laughs> ruff, ruff, ruff. Oh, sure you're a dog. And that's not all. Look at this. As uh, he goes into like a hunting position where he's pointing. He's oh, boy. He's whole frame. <laughs> yeah, just like a hunting dog. 
Now that settles that. Let's get some sleep, Stanley. I've had I've had a hard day. I had to act like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, you know, he crawls into Stanley's bed. You know, relegating Stanley to the the bottom drawer of his dresser. <laughs> Good night, Metha. 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 Tooth. I still can't say your name. It's Massachusetts. Now, let's get to to sleep. And so, uh, you know, Stanley drifts off to dreamland and we see, you know, in his dreams, you know, the, the father that he, that he dreams of having, an, yeah. a nice guy. And Stanley, here's this bike you wanted so much, says uh, Dream Mitch. And now, <laughs> for the thing in the in world that you wanted most, here, Stanley, here, Stanley, here. As, you know, off the frame we see a, a, a leash, you know, and Stanley's yeah, yeah. looking all expectant. Um, but before he gets, you know, his dream thing, you know, the uh, real life claw of the monster, you know, shakes him. Here, Stanley, here. Do you, did you hear? Hear what? Oh, darn, you woke me before Dad could give me that dog. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but the monster doesn't care about any of that. He's got uh, concerns of his own because, uh, you know, with a look of fright on his face, he's like, it was, it was like a, a clanking, moaning sort of sound, like a like a g -g 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 ghost. <laughs> a ghost? Oh, stuff and nonsense. Everybody knows there's no such thing as a ghost. Now, now get back to bed. Well, if you insist, but couldn't we leave the light on? No! Stanley. You know, wow, it's, it's like Mitch. Well, he just wants to get back to bed because indeed in the next panel, you know, we see him drifting off to dreamland, you know, as once again, dream father says, and for being such a good little boy and getting the best marks in first grade, I present you once again, 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 says the, the real life monster waking up. There, there it is again. I heard the ghost again. Oh, that's twice you woke me before daddy gave me that dog. Aww. I told you before, there's no such things as ghosts. Now, now go back to sleep, he says, pushing the monster into bed. Oh, I wish I could believe you. Well, you can believe me. My daddy says there's none, and my daddy knows that clank, clank in the back. Uh, 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 what? Uh, uh oh, says Stanley, you know, with a look of abject horror as he uh, dashes under the blankets, you know, with, with the monster. On second thought, my daddy could be wrong. So, Stanley, since your daddy knows there's no ghost, why, why don't you send him down to look for it? <laughs> Stop being a wise guy. Now, now let's listen again, they say, you know, both under the covers. Um, but uh, before we turn the page, just what do you see here on the facing page? My favorite cat well, salesperson. Right. So, yeah, it's your cat model guy, but who's he, who's he hanging out with? Grandpa Monster. Grandpa Monster, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Monster Mania in full effect. Yeah, the uh, the cartoon cat is hawking the uh, the Dragula. Oh, and just real quick, though, on the bottom, you said you didn't know this character, Kid Flash. He's just like a little baby. No, not a baby Flash. Baby Flash? No, he's like a teenage <laughs> Flash, whatever, in the Teen Titans. All right, so let's turn the page. Uh, you know, as we're under the covers with our, our, you know, terrified duo. There, you see, not a sound. It was all our imagination. I did not imagine it, says the monster, and I will not sleep another minute in this house, not with a ghost. All right, you cowardly dog, I'll prove it to you. I'll search the whole house. Wait, Stanley, t t don't leave me here alone. Um, so Stanley starts creeping down the stairs, you know, with the monster in tow. There, see, nothing in the basement. Yes, I, I, I mean yes. <laughs> it says you know, fucking Stanley's lips. <laughs> Nothing in the kitchen. Close that refrigerator and stop eating everything. I, I can't help it. I always eat when I'm frightened. You know, says the monster, you know, raiding the ice box. And you're always frightened. <laughs> says Stanley. And finally, nothing in the living room either. Not one thing. And he says, thumping the grandfather clock. Um, but as he gives a little thump, 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 you know, we see from the clock another word balloon. Ah, get your feast out of my belly, monsieur. What, what was that? Says the monster recalling. I don't know. There, there's nothing there but a dumb clock. 
dumb? Who dares call the Emperor of France dumb? What? <laughs> and who dares disturb the sleep of Napoleon, Emperor of France, ruler of Europe, and general of all the armies, and big man with the ladies? Let me see. Okay. <laughs> as the, uh, the ghost, you know, comes out of the clock. And very, just, you know, as a description for our listeners or whatever, very, very sort of plain ghost. It looks like almost if you were to do to a cutout, you yeah. write from a piece of paper, you know, just a shape of Napoleon, and then just draw like a little face on it. <laughs> like that, yeah. That's the extent of this ghost. Um, but it's enough, to, apparently, to scare our uh, our duo here because, you know, the monster recoils with, Good grief, it is a ghost. How can my dad be wrong about a thing like that? <laughs> Stanley. Please, I do not care for the word ghost. I am an imperial spirit, the spirit of France. And speaking of spirits, would you have a little wine around the house, boy? A, uh, a simple burgundy or Bordeaux? What do you do with it? <laughs> uh, my mom has cooking wine in the kitchen, says Stanley. Um, so they head to the kitchen and, uh, you know, give him a little sherry. And uh, black! This this you call wine? Says the ghost, you know, spitting out the, the wine. Well, my, I guess my mom just used it for cooking. Aha, the woman is trying to poison you. Many such attempts were made on me as emperor. <laughs> you, emperor of France, says the monster. Oh, oh. Listen, Shaggy One, I say I am the emperor Napoleon. <laughs> oh, every kook in every asylum claims to be Napoleon. You're just one more kook. Who are you to doubt the word of Napoleon? Just who are you? Calm yourself, sir. Can't you see what he is? He, he's my dog. <laughs> As uh, now the ghost starts cracking up. That? You call that a dog? (laughs) 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 Yes, says Stanley, and it's bad manners to laugh at older people. He is 3,000 years old. (laughs) He he, he thinks he is a 3,000-year-old dog, and he calls me crazy. (laughs) That is uh, how you say a gasser. But this enrages the monster. Stanley, throw this imposter out. He's no emperor. In fact, I doubt he's even a ghost. Oh? Then watch me, monsieur. Voila, says the ghost, you know, whooshing, heading toward the wall. Gosh, look at him go right through the wall. He really is a ghost, see? Um, but uh, apparently he's only half ghost because he gets halfway through and he sort of gets stuck. <laughs> oh. Ed, Ed, get me out of here. <laughs> I'm coming, Mr. Emperor, says Stanley. Kind of the, <laughs> uh, he sort of grabs his tail end, you know, sort of like, you know, uh, poo stuck in the rabbit hole type thing, yeah. you know, and, and yanks him out <laughs> with a whoomp. <laughs> oh, he stuck so hard. Well, there he goes. One, two, three. And he comes out. Sorry, little boy. Sometimes my store, she uh, she gets stuck in the wall. <laughs> that does it, Stanley, says the monster. You must choose between us. Either this phony ghost goes, or I do. I will not go without my clock, says, uh, you know, Emperor Napoleon ghost. Mm. That clock is my home. Well, you can't take that. I, I mean that. <laughs> my, my mom loves it, and it costs Dad $800. Come on, we'll settle this upstairs. After you, Mon Emperor, says the, the you know monster mocking him. No, no, after you, my 3,000-year-old dog. <laughs> says Stanley, trying to quiet this ruckus down. You'll wake everybody. I repeat, Stanley, he must go. Well, uh, I guess maybe. One moment, little boy. Permit me a moment alone with your uh, your dog. As, uh, you know, Stanley goes upstairs and now Napoleon, you know, has it out with the, with the monster. Monsieur, for reasons of your own, you wish this child to believe you are a dog. Now... If I should tell him the truth, please, say no more, my, my emperor, say no more. And, uh, you know, they come up apparently having settled it. Uh, Stanley, I just examined your friend's credentials, and he truly is the ghost of Napoleon. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, I'm glad that's that old, says Stanley. Now, let's get back to bed. Crawling in his drawer. <laughs> Uh, Nappy, says the monster to Napoleon. <laughs> well, we see, Nappy. Na- we see Napoleon actually racked out on a ghost pillow. <laughs> uh, one thing's always troubled me. Why in all your pictures was your hand inside your jacket? If you promise never to repeat it, I will tell you. 
My wife, uh, Josephine, she knitted my socks five feet long. They came up to my neck. So they handed my jacket, held up my socks. Ha 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 says the monster. Ha ha, says Stanley. Ha ha ha, says Napoleon. <laughs> Finally, I rented an apartment in Paris, uh, number 30, Rue des Enfants. Filled it completely with those gigantic socks. And they threw away the key. Ha ha ha, says the monster, finding this, like, absolutely ridiculous. Um, so, the next day at Stanley's school, you know, we see his, uh, I'm sure, long-suffering teacher there in, in front of the class saying, uh, <laughs> And so, Washington is called the father of our country, and Lincoln, the man who saved it. Of course, other nations have their heroes, too. For example, Napoleon was a great hero of France, a magnificent general. Does anyone know why he had his hand in his jacket? Because, <laughs> of course, yes, teacher, uh, to hold the socks up, <laughs> says Stanley, you know, from the, from the class. Hmm. Uh, no, Stanley, says the teacher. That's just a joke. Uh, this pose was popular then for portraits. As they, the whole class is laughing at Stanley. Okay, but he did it to hold up his socks too, because Josephine was a rotten knitter. All right, that's enough of this silliness, Stanley, says the teacher. It's true. I, I know, because the ghost of Napoleon just told me so. You can ask my 3,000-year-old dog. Okay. <laughs> the whole class is just mocking him, but you know, the bell rings. There's the bell. You're all dismissed. Uh, but Stanley, I'd like to see your parents on Tuesday. Yes, ma'am, says Stanley. I'm sure it's not the first time he's here it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so as they exit the class, you know, one of his little classmates come up and, oh, Stanley, you're such a goof. I'm going to tell my daddy, the newspaper man, about your silly talk. Go ahead and tell Bethy Blabbermouth, says Stanley. Um, so that night, you know, uh, Mitch, you know, clearly yet again in a bad mood, has the evening paper, you know, and he's pointing at it saying to Sheila, did you see tonight's paper? How your son made a laughing stock out of us? Easy, Mitch. It can't be as bad as all that. Oh, no? Saying he's living with Napoleon's ghost and a 3,000-year-old dog? Wait till my boys at the office. As, that's the front page headline, for God's sakes. Stanley and Napoleon's ghost. Oh, the Daily Planet. Apparently, they live in Metropolis. Yeah. I, I, maybe I do believe that that's the, the headline. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, in the background, ring, ring, telephone. Um, and uh, on the other end, apparently a Frenchman. Hello, Monsieur Dover. This is Professor Chatelain of the French Department of Natural Culture. Uh, before you can start, sir, says, uh, you know, Mitch, I can explain it all. I hope so, monsieur. I'm calling from Paris, France, uh, number 30, Rue des Enfants, with 237 pairs of Napoleon's knitted socks, the greatest historical discovery of my career. I was hoping that perhaps you and your brilliant son could come to France to lecture on this amazing discovery. Hello? Hello, monsieur Dover, are you there? Uh, just, just barely, sir, says Mitch, you know, <laughs> fainting in, in their collapse. Hello, hello. <laughs> what, what happened, Mitch, says Sheila, what happened? I don't think I could ever explain it, says Mitch. Um, so later, you know, we see uh, Stanley with his, uh, you know, duo of, of supernatural pals, you know, as he's saying. And then Dad says that maybe we'll go to France. Of course, you two could come along. You, Napoleon, and you, Matha, Matha, Massachusetts. Oh, no, I just can't go on saying that silly name. Somebody's got to help me. How about it, loyal friends of Stanley, says our narration. Have you thought up a good name for Stanley's Monster? Send it to Stanley's Monster, care of Fox and Crow, National Periodicals, blah, 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 New York, New York. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, a rather abrupt ending, but a cute yeah. story, I think. Yeah, it was cute. <laughs> yeah, so uh, um, before we go on to our next story, I'm just going to flip a couple pages through here. I think there might be some things of note. Um... Yeah, okay, in a couple pages here, we see our very first exposure to uh, something that's going to become, um, like, ever-present in, in magazines of, uh, you know, the late 1960s of D.C., uh, a column called Direct Currents. Um, you see, by popular demand, the feature you've asked for, a column devoted to previews of coming attractions. Basically, this is just like, you know, here's the, the comics coming out this month or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, Marvel had been doing this for a while, um, something called Marvel Bullpen. So I guess, you know, DC trying to jump on the bandwagon. And then you see uh, the sort of background here on the title box is the... Go-go uh, checks. The go-go checks, exactly. 
Um, so let's see, I'm going to keep flipping through to, uh, to Fox and Crow's mailbox. Um, we're not going to read these letters, but I did see um, a couple things here. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, so it says that the world's going crazy about Stanley and his monster. Now, bear in mind, this is issue number three of Stanley and his monster, but I saw this and I just had to point it out. Um, the editor is responding to the popularity of Stanley and his monster. He says, to those who have urged us to put Stanley in a magazine of his own, don't rush us. We're giving him a slow buildup, and if a spurt in sales warrants it, uh, we may get around to it. Incidentally, uh, it's interesting to note that already two producers have expressed their desire to put Stanley and his monster on television. Oh. So, I, like, I, of course, I would have loved, you know, there have to have been a Stanley and his monster cartoon. I don't know that that's true. Like, number one, um, you know, like I say, this is only the third issue of this series. And because of the lag time, there's no way that, like, you know, already in this letter column, they're going to say, oh, we've had, you know, like, and, and number two, like, what movie producer is going through, like, obscure, you know, <laughs> I think what this might be is a feint on the part of DC who's saying, hey, we got things in production. We got a Superman cartoon. We got a Batman TV show. What other properties have we got here? Hey, Hollywood, are you interested in this? I think yeah, it, it might be the reverse type thing, you know? That seems more likely. Yeah. Um, bu -bu 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 -bum. what else? Um, oh, there's a note here from the, uh, the writer of, uh, Fox and Crow. This is not from the, um, uh, Stanley and Monster series or whatever, but I guess the guy who writes Fox and Crow, um, says that he also does scripts for the Adams Family. Oh. So, yeah, neat kind of crossover. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let's see, a couple pages in, uh, we got a full page ad for just other features going on. A couple of these we've mentioned before. Yeah. Uh, Robbie Reed, Dial H for Hero, uh -huh. right? He's in House of Mystery. Uh, Teen Titans had just got their own series. Um, you've never seen this. This guy's actually ridiculous. Ultra, the multi-alien. He's basically a four-in-one thing. Like, I think one thing's magnetic, one thing's electric. He can fly, and then I think one thing might be mental or whatever. <laughs> Balloon Buster, I've never read any of this, although it does sort of intrigue me. He's a World War One flying ace. You know, that kind of sounds a little bit neat. Huh, um, but yeah. I, I just never read any, uh, you know, Steve Savage stories. I think, you know what, there's actually a podcast centered around him. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, I think it's called I Am The Gun or something like that. But it's, 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 a, it's a Balloon Buster podcast, like specifically that character. Huh. It's very weird. Um, so... So yeah, I think that's it for, for number 97. Um, so you want to go ahead and go on to 98? Yeah, let's go. Okay, so Fox and the Crow, number 98, uh, from June of 1966. Uh, this one is a story called Teacher's Pet, um, written again by Arnold Drake, uh, pencils and inks by Wynne Mortimer, uh, cover again, Mort Drucker, with letters by Ira Schnapp. Um, so let's pull up that one as... Uh, as two things, uh, first and foremost, across the top, what do we say? Go-go checks. The go-go checks, exactly. Um, but then secondarily, uh, we were talking about, you know, the sort of gaining real estate. Um, now we've gone from a quarter of the page to, to a third. As well, a thir oh, yeah, actually, I was going to say half, but yeah, no, the Stanley and the Monster is a little bit slightly bigger than the Fox and Crow. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, on the right side, we see, uh, you know, Fox, uh, I guess, trying to do the... Uh, um, snake out of a basket trick or whatever but in his mind he's imagining a you know sort of fancy belly dancer um but in reality it is crow <laughs> it's just like i don't think i ever want to read any stories like, um but on the left you know we see our our hero stanley dover uh building a doghouse which is basically like you know the shape of an outhouse you know like super super tall you know 20 feet tall you know but uh maybe just a, a few feet wide you know as uh, his little friends like but stanley who ever heard of a dog that big um, is around the corner, you know, the dog that big, the monsters mm -hmm. sort of snickering. Um, so the nation's most fantastic feature, um, plus that new laugh riot, Stanley and his monster. Let's go ahead and open that up <laughs> to a uh, 
a facing ad, which is entirely inappropriate for a child's humor mag. Yeah. <laughs> this is a, basically Sergeant Rock, you know, in a in a you know rip roaring battle scene. You know, we see the bullets hitting, you know, the beach in Normandy, bodies flying and fist punching. Like, a, and a I co- think that guy's like, there's dead. Yeah, yeah, probably the combat happy joes of easy torn to the Nazis like teenagers wolfing up a six foot long hero sandwich after rocking and rolling at a hullabaloo party. What? <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> Watch it. Our arm, our armies at war. Sergeant Rock. You know, July. 6th an issue but uh, yeah like like i say maybe not the best you know magazine to run that in um so stanley and his monster in teacher's pet as uh, we begin on a you know sort of pastoral scene there you know stanley and the monster you know in a field i guess picking flowers gee i didn't know that dogs like flowers so much says uh, stanley i doubt if they do stanley sniff ah oh, such a divine odor and how come you like them you're a dog Oh, uh, um, oh, yes, oh, yes. Well, I'm the exception, you see, a flower-loving dog. <laughs> and, uh, the monster thinks, Stanley only lets me live with him because he thinks I'm a dog and he loves... Oh, oh, no, he-he-he! As the monster jumps up into a tree. I'll come back down from there. That thing on the flower with only a caterpillar, see? I, I don't care. I tell you, that thing snarled at me. Oh, wow. <laughs> Stanley's holding up a cute little caterpillar. Yeah, he's adorable. <laughs> Almost Susian. So, uh... As we turn the page, you know, apparently, uh, you know, the the threat has been abated because, you know, all right, we're home. I'm sorry to have you have you keep climbing up that ladder, uh, but you're the one who won't let me tell my daddy about you. No, Stanley, your father doesn't approve of uh, um dogs. <laughs> As, uh, you know, the monster starts climbing the ladder, you know, bending it in the middle. Mm. That's it, Stanley. Uh, give me a hand. You've got both my hands and most of my head already. Now, now get going up there. Uh, I'll see you later. And Stanley's trying to push him through the window. Uh, so we cut downstairs as Mitch, apparently, you know, all proud of himself, saying, And do you know why our neighbors elected me to the school board, Sheila? Yes, Mitch, because Jerry Duncan refused to run. Now, I need two egg whites. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because I stand for efficiency, economy, and, and a whole lot of oil, says his wife. What? What? I said this recipe requires a whole lot of oil. Um, but Mitch, you know, is still pumped up with himself. They expect me to cut the fat out of the school budget. Ooh, I love fat, says Stanley. Can I have them? What kind of fat is it? Steak fat? Lamb chop fat? No, son, uh, that's just an expression. That means they want me to save the school money. I know how to save the school money. Clothe the school. <laughs> I'm afraid parents wouldn't like that, says Mitch. Oh, but I know I would. <laughs> says Stanley under his breath. Here's something. $10,000 for a new swimming pool. Stanley, do you kids really need a new pool? Well, not really, sir. We don't need a pool. We can always swim in the town fountain. boy, money bags, says Sheila. That's the kind of economy parents will love. So later that night, you know, we see uh, the monster and Stanley in their, you know, standard sleeping arrangements. The monster in the bed, Stanley in his lower drawer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stanley, I'm hungry. Oh, you're always hungry. Go to sleep. <laughs> but I can't sleep. I, I mean sleep. Get your mind off your stomach. Think of something important, like the Cold War. Did you say coleslaw? <laughs> no, I mean stuff like world peace. Did you say a whole pizza? <laughs> oh, never mind. I'll get you some food. Wait here. What else could I do? I'm too weak from hunger to move. He totally is Dr. Smith from, wow. <laughs> from Lost in Space. Yeah. <laughs> I do believe he's the hungriest dog in the whole world, says Stanley going down the steps. Psst, you're there. Young monsieur, come here a moment, says uh, the clock. Say, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I heard a voice coming. Ah, oh, of course, it's you, the ghost of Napoleon, as uh, you know, Napoleon emerges from the clock. At your service, Emperor of France, general of all the armies, ruler of half the civilized world, and a very saucy man. Now look, I told you before, my mom only keeps cooking wine. A hundred and forty years inside that clock and I have to wind up in such a house. Uh, all right, lead on, my little friend. Uh, so uh, apparently uh, he's going to forego the wine and maybe have, uh, what does it look like, some soda pop? It does. <laughs> Sploosh! He's uh, spitting it out. Poison! Poison, I tell you! This is a rotten German trick. 
That's ridiculous. There's no Germans in this house. There never have been, except for the measles I had once. <laughs> you just make all that noise to prove what a big man you are. Well, we're having a snack upstairs. You can come or stay. A snack? You mean a banquet for about a hundred people, I presume? <laughs> Says, you know, because Stanley has a, a gigantic, you know, monster-sized sandwich. No, just me and my dog. <laughs> that is a very big sandwich for just a little boy and his uh, dog. That is your dog? <laughs> yes, I, I forgot about your <laughs> dog. <laughs> Hold it, says the monster. One more snicker out of you and I'll prove that you learned all your French in a pastry shop in Flathead, Montana. Ah, let us not forget our agreement, says Napoleon, you know, come in for a whisper. If you do not question my credentials, I shall not question yours, eh, dog? Right, mon emperor. Um, there we are, one big happy normal American family, <laughs> says yeah. Stanley, you know, nestled between a ghost and, and a monster, you know, crunching down on the sandwich. You said it, munch, munch, roar, says the monster. So, uh, so the next day at school, you know, we, there we see, uh, you know, Stanley's teacher. And now comes one of our favorite times of the week. That hour, Mr. Weemsy, the natural science teacher, visits our class. Hooray, says the class, apparently like Mr. Weemsy. Ahem. Says Mr. Whimsy. Today we'll study simple animal forms. As soon as I find my glasses. Now, where did I? They're on your head, Mr. Whimsy, says uh, Stanley. Oh, yes, yes. Now, adventurers, we're going to explore a world of the smallest animals known, the microbes. As uh, he fires up the slide projector. Listen to this fellow. Hi, kids. I'm Mike Microbe. Ten thousand of me could fit on a pinhead. I can sour your milk or give you a bellyache. Ah, that's goofy, says the class. Who ever heard of a talking bug? Mr. Weemsy, you're an old kook. You take that back, nasty Nathan, says Stanley. He, he's a thwell man. Why couldn't a bug talk? I've heard a box talk. Ah, Stanley, you're a bigger nut than old Weemsy. No box can talk. Oh, no, says Stanley. What about a radio? Ha, 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 says the class. That's one on you, nasty Nathan. Ah, listen, creeps. The next one who calls me nasty Nathan gets one in the beezer. He's right, class, says Mr. Weemsy. No more teasing Nathan and no more threats. Next week, class, we'll study some bigger animals, so all of you may bring your pets to school that day. Yeah, you ain't gonna be here next week, you creepy teacher, thinks Nathan, <laughs> apparently wow. plotting his death. Oh, my God. <laughs> so uh, later that night at nasty Nathan's house, he's, uh, we see him whining to his dad. He's an old creep who thinks he's a talking germ. Wah! And he shamed me in front of the whole class. Wah! What? My son? My sensitive, harmless, lovable lad? Don't cry, Nathan. I'll show that overaged egghead a thing or two, says his dad. You know who he looks like? He looks like um, Johnny Casper from Miller's Crossing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, sort of like, you know, raging Italian guy. Um, so, uh, one minute later, you know, we see over at the, the Dover household. Hello, Dover. This is Bilge Barker, Nathan's father. I've got a way to cut $2,000 from the school budget and help our kids, too. Every pen is important, Barker, says Mitch. What's your idea? Pension off old Weemsy. He's got rocks in his head anyway, and his seniority earns him $2,000 more than any young replacement. Well, if he's as dotty as you say, says Mitch, you know, apparently just believing this dude at his word. You're done right, he's dotty, says, uh, what's his name again? Bilge. <laughs> Bilge, right? <laughs> He talks daddy to, uh, to mice or something, and he mistreats our innocent little children. He's got to go. Yeah, says Nasty Nathan in the background. Um, so the following week, you know, Stanley, are you sh sure you should bring me to school in front of all these children? As we see, you know, Stanley leading uh, Massachusetts on a leash. Why not? You're a dog, aren't you? Uh, yes, but then skip it. Teacher said you had to bring a pet, and that's you. I've got bigger worries. Dad's going to fire poor Mr. Weemsy. Uh, so we cut to the principal's office, and, you know, we see, uh, but Weemsy, there's so many things in life besides teaching. And the principal's trying to let him down easy. Not for me, Mr. Garner. The children are everything to me. Maybe that's because Mrs. Weemsy and I never had any children of our own. 
Well, it's out of my hands, says the principal. The school board has asked for your retirement. I'm sorry. They won't get it voluntarily, says Weemsy. They'll have to force me out. Gee, Mr. Weemsy, you know, as he's later on in class, have you been crying or something? Ah, uh, no, just a cold in the eye. You see, uh, you brought all your pets. Good. Uh, oh, he's a clever fellow, says Weemsy as a cat jumps on his head. He likes sitting on heads, eh? He must be like the head monkey in the jungle. <laughs> What's that noise? Thump, thump. <laughs> he pops out into the hallway. <laughs> Please, no noise in the school halls, don't you? Yeah, he says, you know, spotting the monster. You see, Stanley, I told you this was a mistake. As, uh, you know, Weemsy's running down the hall. Yeah. Cat flying off his head. Yes, you were right. We better scram out of here. As, uh, Weemsy, you know, pops into the uh, principal's office. A monster, uh, huge and hairy, uh, great tusks in the in the hall. Nonsense, Weemsy, says the principal. There's no such thing. You see, there's nothing there, he says, you know, coming out of the hallway because mm -hmm. uh, they're hiding behind, I guess, but that's like the lunch cart thing, you know, I guess where they put all the trays. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're right, says Weemsy. You're right about something else. When a man starts seeing things in his head, it's time he retired. Um, so later in class, you know, we see Weemsy still weeping. <sighs> Could be that cold in my eyes seems worse. Uh, children, unfortunately, this shall be my last class. Wow. Oh, shucks. No, don't go, Mr. Weemsy. No, no, says Weemsy. I'm afraid the time has come. Um, before I do, I want to lead you on my favorite special activity, a nature walk. Hooray, says the class. What a shame, says the monster, you know, peeking out from behind a tree. That nice man retiring, all because of us. It's not going to happen, says Stanley, you know, firmly resolute. We're going to stop it. But first, we need more help, like the ghost of Napoleon. <laughs> so, <laughs> so later, uh, you know, in the woods near the school, you know, we see Weemsy. Now, above all, children, stick close together. We don't want anyone getting lost out here. Uh, you know, there's, all the kids have their pets as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Look at Nasty Nathan, he's got a scowl on his face. Looks like He looks like Cartman <laughs> from South Park, right? Cartman doesn't look that mean. <laughs> but uh, Weemsy, you know, continues to lead the children around. Uh, look closely, children. You'll see thousands of natural wonders. As uh, nasty Nathan thinks, ah, baloney. I'm going to find some real fun, like a real cave or something. <laughs> yeah, that's that's safe, son. <laughs> yeah. There's some magnificent specimens, says Weemsy, at the top, the yellow-bellied knee-knocker, and beneath that, the double-breasted seersucker. <laughs> Nathan, do you like... Nathan, and he says, spin around, where are you? Stay here, all of you. Don't move an inch. I've got to find Nathan. Um, so as poor old Weemsy, you know, plunges into the woods, you know, Nathan, where are you? Where are you? Oof, he says, you know, cracking his head on, on a branch. Uh, so a moment later, you know, he's happened upon by Stanley the monster and the ghost of Napoleon. Oh, poor Mr. Weemsy. Not cold. We heard him shouting for Nathan Nathan, but we're too late. Okay, we'll find Nathan ourselves. Um, so... After a long search, you know, we see Stanley, you know, finding Nasty, apparently, you know, up on top of a tree. Nasty, we found you. Thank goodness. Now come down now. No, I can't, says Nasty. I got up here, but I, I'm, I'm too scared to climb down. Wah! Go away. Get away from me. Leave me alone. Wah! Don't worry, says Stanley. I'll, I'll get help. Uh, as, uh, the help he gets, you know, is the monster. Here, Nasty, shouts the monster. <laughs> Stanley sent me to save you. Jump, boy. Are you crazy, says the kid. Jump into a, a monster's arms? Never. You will not jump, eh? Says the ghost Napoleon coming from above. Then perhaps this will change your mind. Boo! <laughs> a ghost! Says Nasty. I'll jump, I'll jump! As he does, you know, into the monster's arms. Got you. I saved your life, son. Big deal. You also lost my shoe. What kind of cheesy hero are you? Wow. He continues being nasty. Hmm. Thanks, Stanley. There's his shoe. That gives me an idea. Okay, Nathan. Get back to the other kids, says Stanley. And you fellas go home. I'll be along soon. Uh, so Stanley goes to, uh, you know, knocked out form there of... Um, whimsy and you know, places the shoe apparently on his chest. There, 
thinks Stanley. Now when Mr. Weensy wakes up, he'll think he saved Nathan, and he'll have the shoe to prove it. Um, so later that night, at the school board meeting, And so, apparently Nathan's father, Bilge, I, I say to any man who tries to sing two-part harmony to a microbe is too nutty to be a teacher. Right, Dover? Um, as, uh, as meanwhile outside, you know, we see Stanley and the monster, you know, uh, peeking through the window, you know, atop of a ladder. That's it! Hold that ladder tight! Oh no, Dad's gonna speak, and he's gonna queer the whole deal for poor Weensy. Wrong, Barker, says uh, Mitch standing up tonight. For the first time, I had a long talk with Mr. Weemsey, and I'm convinced he's one of our finest teachers. He's warm, wise, and a wonder with kids. Also, he saved your boy's life today. What? That's a lie. You can ask Nathan yourself. Um, but, uh, Mitch is producing the, uh, the aforementioned shoe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but as they ask, you know, Nathan, you know, who saved him, uh, he, he denies it as well. That's right. Mr. Weemsey didn't save me. A ghost with a French accent scared me, and I jumped from the tree into the arms of a monster. <laughs> nice. <laughs> as, the, as the whole room starts bursting out and laughing. <laughs> and outside we hear, you know, meow. Oh, Stanley, I, I had a cat. <laughs> Cut back inside. You dare to accuse Mr. Weemsey of being dotty, but your own boy plays with monsters and French coats. Oh, pot calling the kettle black there, Mitch. <laughs> Nathan, wait till I get you home, says, uh, you know, Bilge grabbing you know, nasty Nathan by the, by the ear as the, the whole room laughs at them. Hooray for Dad, says Stanley outside. He saved Weensy's job. Hooray. Hey, where are you going? The, the ladder's falling. I, I can't help it, Stanley. Oh, no. The cat is chasing me. As he runs away. And, uh, you know, Mitch coming outside. Stanley, what are you doing here? Are you hurt? Hurt? Nah, but I thoroughly am happy to have a thwell 100% dad like you, says Stanley, you know, with the uh, complete victim mentality. <laughs> <laughs> So, and we end on a special memo from Stanley. Fellas and girls, hurry up and send me some new names for my monster. If I have to say Massachusetts one more time, I'll bust. The end. As uh, we end on a two-third page thing, you know, as the bottom third is uh, an ad for... Bob Hope. Bob Hope, but with... Monsters. With monsters, exactly. Oh, and there's Super Hip, remember I was talking about? Ah. Yeah, yeah, so there you see he's very Austin Powers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Uh, let's flip through this and see if there's any goodies. Fox and Crow. A second Fox and Crow. Oh, an ad for Scooter. Okay, the, this this is not... Um, we, you know, we may do this at some point, actually. Swing with Scooter is another one of those teen uh, humor things, like, you know, Archie or whatever. But the hook of this one is that he's, like, Liverpudlian. Like, so he's basically based on Paul McCartney. You uh-huh. see, he's like a, a yeah, British guy who came over and all the Americans or whatever. But the reason that we might do this is that... you like the boots. No, nah, well, I certainly <laughs> like his boots. But uh, but no, one of these characters here is his little friend Malibu. Okay. Turns out he's a vampire. So may- maybe, we'll really? do, yeah, maybe we'll do some Scooter at some point. Um, let's see. Letter page. Uh, no, just a, a sort of a spotlight on the artist of Fox and Crow that we don't care um, Caps Hobby Hints. Oh, okay, the direct currents actually, uh, we you know, just to tie it all into the rest of our, um, you know, episode here, we see an advertisement for, um, you know, the latest issue of Jerry Lewis, and you say, witchcraft, remember I said, you know, his, his housekeeper, mm-hmm. um, they're introducing his, uh, her niece, Xenia, which is a little, sort of like, little girl witch, so, you know, just now, same type of thing, they always like to parallel it, so while Jerry's bouncing off the adult witch, you know, his little nephew Renfrew is now bouncing off the, the little girl Xenia. niece, yeah, exactly, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's it, 
All right, so short and sweet. I, not really short and sweet, you know. <laughs> like more than half our episode was devoted to the history of Universal yeah. Monsters or whatever. But I think it was, it was kind of a neat foray because that way, you know, I, I, what I w- didn't want to do is I didn't want to, you know, give short shrift to the whole, you know, Bob Hope and Jerry Lewis thing. But on the other hand, I definitely didn't want to read any of those comics. Um, so <laughs> yeah, so I thought a nice sort of historical uh, overview of you know the influencing factors culturally yeah. um, that led those titles to be revamped in that way would be a good thing. And then, like I say, it sort of ties in editorially with Fox and Crow uh, because they're all overseen by Murray Boltonoff. Um, so yeah, so that in mind, do you want to just, you know, head right into the uh, the judgment portion? Yeah. Um, now, we had uh, two Stanley and the Monster stories, but, you know, both pretty short. Um, you know, it just Ghost to Show you, and then Teacher's Pet, um, basically both sort of you know, uh, introducing the the concept of the Napoleon ghost, right? You know, so they're expanding out that strip, you know, Stanley. And then this is why originally, I think, you know, before I reread these, I thought they might be imaginary friends. Um, but clearly now we've had another interaction, the teacher saw them, whatever. So apparently he just lives in a really bizarre world. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, do you want to judge them as a uh, single story, you know, or because they're short, you know, and both the same character? Or do you want to look one at each one of their own merits? Yeah, I think we, we can we can merge them because it's just, uh, it's it's kind of like a continuation. Yeah, yeah. So, so, right. um, so I'm going to give them like both, uh, I was going to say thumbs up, but I think, you know, <laughs> like uh, wings up. Yeah, right. For the birds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I have to say, like uh, the it's it's very much in keeping with uh, Stanley and his monster. Like it's it's consistent. At first, I have to say though, I didn't really like the ghost. The he he was like it was so flat. Mm-hmm. Like there was no shading. And oh, then, you mean like, the design of it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it really did. Like how you described it. Like it it actually looked like a piece of paper was just laid on top of it. And I was like, that's that's not good at all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, did they change artists or something? But that wasn't the case. But then after like a couple panels later, I was noticing, I was like, oh, okay, well, it's, it's better now. And then I noticed that there was some shading and he, the ghost had some dimensionality. Mm. Um, Storyline, completely ridiculous. But again, in <laughs> keeping with uh, Stanley and his monster and ghost. Yeah. So, or ghost. <laughs> ghost, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like them. They're, they're comical, very light and uh, very enjoyable. Yeah, I like it too. And I love your voices. <laughs> Well, if you love my voices, uh, specifically with regard to Stanley the Monster, um, you're, I think, not for a few episodes, where you think maybe, like, you know, we, we got a lot of other stuff to cover, um, but next time we loop back around to Stanley the Monster, um, similar to how they introduced a new character here, you know, you know Stanley's little friend, um, next time around they're going to introduce two more <laughs> characters in, in the Stanley's world, yes. Yeah, so we're, we're up to five <laughs> voices at a bare minimum. Um, so, but who those characters would be, like I say, you know, we'll we'll save that for a later date. Um, because what we're going to cover next time, we've teased it about a hundred thousand times on this show. All the ads keep saying he's coming, he's coming. So coming he's up, here. he's here. So next episode, he is here finally. <laughs> really? Yes, we're going to cover the Spectre, and that was sort of a lead in here too. So you know, one sort of humorous ghost, and now we're going to go the pendulum swing the opposite direction, and finally cover you know the Silver Age reintroduction of. Uh, you know, the golden age, you know, spook man, the specter. Um, but then also we're going to flash back similar to the way we did Dr. Fate and do a couple of his golden age stories, you know, specifically his origin, which is pretty hardcore, actually. I really, you know, sort of film noir and, and, and pretty brutal. I, I think you're, you're going to dig the specter. Um, Silver Age stories, um, you know, initially probably less focused on the supernatural just because of some of the, um, uh, you know, restraints of the code. Um, but hmm. but that over time is going to lessen, 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 and you know, yeah. Spectre is going to become a huge character in DC. I can see that trend weakening. Yeah. 
So, uh, all right, so that wraps it up for us tonight. Um, I think, before we go, I, I do want to do just a, a little bit of housekeeping. I, I noticed, you know, as I listen to these or whatever, um, that occasionally we'll throw in our contact information. We don't want to do it with any sort of consistency. Um, so let's just do a solid block here at the end of our episode. Oh, of everything? Yeah, as a, you know, <laughs> where you can reach us. And please do reach us. Like I say, you know, we're, we're pretty deep into this and, you know, we see our listenership rising, but we definitely, definitely want feedback, you know, uh, constructive or otherwise. You know, even if you think we suck, just <laughs> let, write us a note and, and let us know. <laughs> or if and, you want to name Stanley's Monster, that's cool too. Yeah, right, exactly. Send us your <laughs> suggestions for Stanley's Monster. And you can send those to uh, tporpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can leave comments, you know, on any of our episodes at our website, which is tporpodcast.com. Um, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash tporpodcast. And actually, we urge you to like us there because currently uh, we only have 13 likes, and that's very unlucky. <laughs> Just push us up into the 14 range at, at a bare minimum. Uh, you can find us at Twitter at tporpodcast. Um, and you could subscribe to us, you know, on iTunes, uh, Podcastpedia, Stitcher Radio. And finally, I did get the email. Uh, we're now available on Google Play. Um, so if you have an Android, you hey, can subscribe cool. to us there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with that in mind, you know, we want to thank you as always uh, for joining us. We hope you had a good time. And we hope to see you here next time on the Parliament of Rooks podcast. Thanks, everybody. I love to take my baby to a movie show So I can try to smooch her while the lights are low But you and Curdle do a story of romance There's only one way I've got a chance It takes the Batman, Wolfman, Frankenstein or Dracula To put her in the mood for love It takes the cat girl, dog boy, creature from the Black Lagoon To make her feel like making love it takes a monster from outer space to make my baby want my embrace. And when I hold her, she's like a dream. If only she can hear somebody scream. Parking down in love is lame And lots of moonlight doesn't drive this girl insane She thinks the dreamy music really is a bore But I found out what she's looking for It takes the Batman, Wolfman, Frankenstein or Dracula To make her tender as can be It takes a cat girl, dog boy, creature from the Black Lagoon To get her making love with me If there's a madman who grows a bed bug that wrecks the world she gets romantic it's really quaint when all the other women start to faint <laughs>